Welcome back to the Wiseman Podcast, uh, or Wiseman Podcast, no the, um, this week, this month, <laughs> we're, we're talking about basic training, um, Wiseman's fifth film, um, from 1971, uh, which chronicles a, uh, training camp over eight weeks in Fort Knox, Kentucky, um, this is uh, your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. I'm doing uh, great. My throat's a little scratchy, but that's okay. Uh, so this is like your flu game. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll try and power through it and, and give a historic podcast performance <laughs> as best I can. Great. Um, yeah, any, any initial thoughts about uh, basic training? Um. Well, I mean, you know, uh, should we talk? Should we just contextualize it a yeah. little? Or, yeah, go or, for it. Yeah, so um, the basic thoughts, right, is like um, this is uh, filmed in 1970, released in 71 uh, at an eight week basic training program in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Um, you know, and that's pretty much the Weissman, uh, uh, capsule, you know, um, I think immediately what, what comes to mind and we discuss a little later with our guest and is also, you know, all over the, the writing on this film is this is kind of the first direct sequel to high school, um, in a very literal sense from the very beginning when we see these young recruits coming off a school bus, um, you know, they could have just come uh from northeast high for all we know Mm -hmm. Uh, and and um you know i think generally like um i i think you mentioned also this was your first time seeing this so same for me um and it it's like you know this is this is a banger i think (laughs) like like this is this is like top tier weissman stuff this is like why um, I'm into the guy, um, you know, exactly the kind of vibe of like absurdism, uh, um, kind of light mockery of like sacred cow institutions and, and, um, just like artistic insight, um, kind of, kind of the full package uh, mm-hmm. of uh, ideals. And, and as a film, you know, like, um, also something we talk about later, he's playing against the type of, you know, the war film, the military film, and, you know, that is very fruitful visually, narratively, um, uh, thematically. Uh, he's able to, to say a lot without putting it up on the screen necessarily just because, you know, the audience has this wealth of um, film reference of, like, you know, this is a... a quote-unquote patriotic you know like country um and we love making films about you know um lauding our our military so so that's something already that's baked in that he's ready to um something anderson and thompson or uh yeah talk about a lot is the um how how the audience has assumptions and how mm-hmm. Weissman plays with that how how he's in at first sort of lulling you in inviting you to bring your assumptions to the table and then going and subverting them yeah um 
And like we we get into this with with uh, our guest uh, Adam Naiman, um, the lovely Adam Naiman. But um, this this came out in you know a, a, in the middle of like Vietnam being a big issue, like in the American consciousness, the public like the public's consciousness and um uh and then he releases this film in 1971 that um it is you know a very um i don't know how many people saw this but like this is this this is kind of a a a very uh ballsy thing to do to just like put this out like the and the fact that he got access is also quite um not surprising because we've seen him do it before and and he'll do it again but uh just so so sly the um, and what he's able to turn out from it um and it makes me wonder like i don't think he is interested in that anymore but i mean now that he's been making films for half a decade um he probably couldn't get away with that but he doesn't still like um, we'll talk about this but in his own ways you know uh is able to make people show their true colors whether they realize it at the time or not in some of his later films um without being like this is uh this is this is uh this guy at berkeley is not a great guy you know kind of thing um but anyway um you mentioned the the thomas and benson or sorry, the Benson, Benson and Anderson. I think I think I did, I did like a portmanteau of Thomas yeah. Benson, called him Thomas. Yeah. Banderson. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, Thomas Benson and, and Carolyn Anderson, friend of the show, uh, wrote a chapter in their book uh, on this, um, and it's interesting that they kind of, they they very um, succinctly kind of sum up what he is doing in the early part of his career by like. Like you said, like playing into your assumptions from the get go, like making you think you know what this is going to be, um, and then tries to find the nuances in sort of this flock mentality, um, and the places where, it, in in at least basic training, might show where individuality still perks up. Like we might think that in basic training, like it's just going to be this super regimented thing, and to a to a point yes it is but in in a Wiseman film the beauty of it is like you're going to see these 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 um it's not a perfect plateau right you're going to see these little squabbles and these these this these points of uh resistance um and just little pieces of personality that um make it from just being this very uniform unit right um it's the little like human movements and the dissenters like the ones that just don't fit or have mental health issues um, that make Wiseman an interesting filmmaker. But um, were there other things that that stuck out uh, from the the Benson and, and Anderson chapter to you? Um, I think when we talk later about the the whole imaging um, dichotomy between how the army is imaging itself and how Wiseman's imaging the military. Um, I, and uh, we talk about the assumption. I think there's this thing of fact versus belief. Um, and, you know, the army, probably more than most, is, is an institution of, like, belief and faith and, and you know, facts. Um, 
doesn't necessarily enter in the picture. You know, as, as a, a young soldier, you're not supposed to question. You're supposed to, like, just take what comes down uh, from on high as, you know, the, the truth of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not really that room uh, to question, but also this is it's an unnatural situation, right? Like, like you, that's, it just doesn't come naturally to to do that Mm -hmm. um but i think something they do bring up that was interesting as it relates to weissman's work as um he continues making films is like we're starting to get into this kind of privileged mode like more kind of behind the scenes Mm -hmm. a little bit um things like like the talk between the sergeants about karma things like uh, the conversation between Hickman and the chaplain, um, you know, things that... Uh, things are, he was clearly interested in before, but were kind of on the, like, fringes. Yeah, I mean, it's same to, to what you were saying, you know, he he's able to show these kind of interesting idiosyncratic aspects of the institution, of the people who make it up, um, through, like, the the marginal moments mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that that karma conversation is happening while there's like shooting training going on off to the side right like, yeah yeah like somebody a different filmmaker might focus on that but um why does right. my brain go over and like hey you know what what's the circle of sergeants talking about over here mm-hmm. um yeah uh there it well, first of all, Barry Keith Grant, like, groups that... So, I think that this film, like you said, is very much in conversation with high school. But it's interesting that... And, and you know, you can find a lot of writing uh, within the writing that is done on this film uh, as a whole. You can find a lot within that about the similarities between this and high school. Um, and we we could talk more about that later. But um, <clears throat> Grant, um, friend of the show... Uh, groups this with two other films, uh, Maneuver and Missile, as being right. uh, these, like, basic training, deployment, and then this, like, specialized type of training to, to prevent uh, attack uh, at home. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so I wanted to, like, kind of talk about this opening. After we get, like, sort of the, this montage opening, we, we get these, like, two speeches, two or three uh, speeches, this, like, orientation uh, from these different uh, like lieutenants and generals, whatever they are. Um, and the first guy uh, lingers on like this speech about enthusiasm and pride. And I found it interesting. He's like very, he sounds very dry and, and worn and, and rote. Um, and then by the time we get to the second speech, you're, you're very much getting like this, again, this message of like docility. Uh, like we immediately see the framing of the system as like rigid and not suited for disagreement. Take your seat. I'm Lieutenant Hoffman, your company commander. The best way to go through basic training is do what you're told, as you're told, and there'll be no problems. When you start trying to fight the system, that's where you get in trouble. So if you go along with the system, it's fine. When you bucket, you come into the problems. I know some people come in and they rebellious they didn't want to come in the army they don't think it's worth it and they're against war and all this it's a little too late for that now you're here if you want to come out here in two years or three years whichever your enlistment is no problem just go along with it that's all we ask 
You go along, you learn, learn how to become a soldier. And like the subtext obviously being in high school, we don't want you to be individual thinkers. Um, you know, trained to act according to your in, to the instincts that they're instilling in you, like sort of reprogramming you. Yeah, um, there's the direct connection between the vice principal in high yeah. school and, yeah. and these speeches. And if you don't want to put up with it, you're a failure. And and we see like throughout the film these juxtapositions of those that are considered failures and those that are deemed successful, and and it's all sort of like based on that. But uh, based on whether they're acting according to these new instincts or not bucking the system. Uh, but Benson and Anderson point out um, that all of these like opening orientations, um, it seems very clear that Wiseman is, is making a movie about rhetoric and talk and sub th- that talk is the subject of his film and, and what kind of language official officials use to like appeal or persuade or, demean the soldiers is all sort of like used to control them yeah that and and you know language so far for us seems to come up a a good deal and at least in these Mm -hmm. early films as as um tool of control um and i think like the thing about it is is failure as they talk about it you know, is super, super subjective, right? It's failure with regards to becoming a good soldier. There's mm-hmm. there's a moment at some point um, where uh, one of the uh, sergeants is talking to a recruit about, um, you know, success and, and getting a medal. And he's like, I just want my life. You know, that that's my medal, you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, you know, by by the army standards, if you become a, if you you know advance from basic training and become a good soldier, and you go off and you fight and you die, you know that's still a success to them, essentially. You know mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. that's what they're there to do. Um, so, as it relates to like the the real world, you know the success is highly subjective, and and it points to the sort of warping of reality and the reconditioning that's necessary to kind of undertake uh, this, you know, as Weissman sees it, and I think it is, like, largely absurd task. Yeah, and we talk about that absurdity uh, in the second half of of the episode, Um, and I I think that it hits a stride here. Obviously, like, hospital is not... there's definitely some like big like moments of black comedy i would i would say in hospital but um the majority of that film is pretty dark um uh and here uh it kind of does like share more with with titicate follies um in high school in that sense uh that like but i think even more than those he really does like have a good ear for um, comedy, like, and and we see that develop throughout his career. Well, it's so ripe for it, this particular topic, right? Because the army is like notoriously this self-serious, like macho kind of thing, you know. That from the outside perspective, at least, doesn't seem like there's really any room for humor or levity to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but like all these films explore, the institutions are made of people, and people aren't so one-dimensional um so uh, but you know so 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 
the, the people have moments of humor and joking around. But I mean, Weissman has his own moments of humor that, you know, the, his subjects in the moment aren't really privy to because they're not thinking about well how he's how he's going to cut this what he's going to juxtapose it with what scenes you know yeah. like like I think there's a really sly um, thing throughout with with Wiseman and Brain you know that the framing in this film is so um, purposeful in terms of like uh, creating these these thematic uh, moments. Um, things like you know just flipping the camera around to the general like framed with the flag waving behind him you know like from mm-hmm. this intense low angle and there's so much of that in the, the this high angle low angle yeah uh, framing you know the, with the power dynamics between uh, the officers and the recruits yeah sometimes he shoots them like they're ants like running across the field um, right he has so much or both of them just have so much to play with here um like they just seem like they have they're they're not as uh restricted by space um and also there's just so many things there's like you know there's flag stuff there's like the guns there's a lot of like visual tools um not only like the order of them and like the costumes matching or uniforms matching like not only that stuff but um there's just a lot a lot of like actual positioning that like it um i think uh, i think maybe it was member that said in in his journal thing about like the ways not specifically maybe um all of it but certain points uh made him think of wiseman's future career as like or his future preoccupation with ballet um mm-hmm. there's just a lot of like movements during the training that uh are like really well shot um and it's it's quite a beautiful beautiful movie um but yeah yeah the i mean the, you get the lots of shots of kind of like um simultaneous training it, it, it recalled for me almost like something like um, 36 chamber of shaolin just like <laughs> these evenly spaced um like fighting uh ghost ghost boxing kind of things you know or they're like stabbing a dummy or there's like um hand-to-hand combat training too which like like something like that is the perfect example of where Weissman's finding humor because like here you are it's like this um you know intense one-on-one fighting situation um but everyone's like kind of fucking around goofing off laughing you know mm-hmm. like like uh, it's it's hard to get into that mode or or it's, it's like a high school assembly or something <laughs> yeah it's or gym like, class yeah yeah when when your gym teacher is like making you do like square dancing or something and everyone's like what is what's happening here <laughs> or or it's the converse too there's the training that's like which i don't i couldn't tell how it had any practical application but like the the american gladiator kind of oh, like yeah. double-ended thing you know and that one dude just like after he tells him to stop he just keeps going like yeah. like they're um i think that's like one of weissman's gifts as a filmmaker is is uh, elevating these like really small uh, moments but he's able to perceive and and find you know the the humanity or lightness about him and, and it's that makes me think about the 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 brushing teeth scene that we mentioned so as a good. point of ab- yeah. absurdity like very shortly you're going to move in the building you're going to see about a 50 minute television program 
The first half of this television program will be a lecture in which they will tell you how you can receive dental treatment while you're in the Army. They will also tell you how you can prevent dental diseases, how you can keep from having cavities and gum diseases while you're in the Army. The second half of the program will be a practical exercise in which you will participate yourselves. This time, gentlemen, we're going to be brushing the front teeth. We'll be brushing back and forth in this manner right here. We'll be brushing back and forth on the front teeth. Put the toothbrushes in your mouth. Brush. Not only is, not only is it absurd that it's happening, but he elevates that moment with like just the visual of them all in sync you know just like sitting there brushing their teeth in sync is an image it's very evocative um yeah and just on an image basis i forget which which one of our friends wrote it but there's the the vision of them all foaming at the mouth yeah yeah, know, yeah yeah right like right. and and like like um in reality fictions they were talking about this as like a subversion thing too because at first we're like this is very silly and it is but then they they show that you know oh this guy's teeth's fucked up you know maybe he he could take this lesson to heart <laughs> or there's the guy you know just tapping his toe along with the music he's like this guy's having a ball you know they at, at least um as much as us as the audience is viewing this as very silly and absurd, that doesn't really necessarily seem to be present among the, the recruits that are undergoing the toothbrushing training. It also made me probably inadvertent. Um, I know that like Wiseman, when he makes his movies, has his whole filmography in his mind. And obviously at this point, there's only four previous films. But it made me think of Hospital and like this close-up of this guy's teeth that is like, having all these issues and is ashamed of, of just his health and his teeth are fucked up. And, um, yeah, it, it, it just made me think about that horrible scene, uh, or a horrible visual of, of this guy who, uh, you know, didn't have that instruction. Um, didn't have like the resources to, I don't know whoever, who, who knows. Um, but, uh, yeah. This is uh, this is another film, uh, something Mamber was harping on with a lot of music, a lot of unexpected yeah, yeah. like song and and you know I guess marching is a kind of dance, but like um, another thing you don't really expect in this particular setting, mm-hmm. um, and I guess you got to just imagine like it's it's like a, a sanity thing, you know, you if if this were like full metal jacket kind of and it's just this intense training always constant you know like um violent repeating all over and over again like why wouldn't why wouldn't you go AWOL you know like they they have to do something to like build camaraderie among each other to to create some kind of paternalistic relationship with the officers you know like like and that just can't be tough love only Right. Mm-hmm. Like, right, right. like there have to be these opportunities for recreation, like like song, and it's interesting. Um, we talk a little later about like um, how little wiggle room there really is to to assert your individuality and and kind of buck the system, but that was one instance where it seemed accepted, where they're able to do through like the the marching 
uh, song they do that they make up. I'm surprised they let them, you know, yell this repeatedly right. through through the camp. Again, it's like a weird like dissonance with uh, this sort of like control and like brainwashing aspect, and then you have like this uh, this plea for release that can probably only be said in song, like, right. and it kind of like probably heightens it and strips it of like. Um, the confessional aspect of it right like it's like oh yeah we can do that in song and maybe we do really feel like that but uh we can't actually say that well it's it's a way in which hegemony is able to assimilate um dissent into its own you know mechanism yeah right? sure oh sure that's a good point like like you know we will give you a space to, uh, you know, voice your concerns, I guess is the right <laughs> way to put it. Um, but it's going to be while we're training you to march in unison and act as a unit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking back about the uh, um, <clears throat> the Benson and Anderson article about how, um, about Wiseman, you know, sort of like, inviting you into what you think is going to be a very simplistic uh message and then uh being able to fold in complexities um i think overall from and maybe this will change on multiple viewings because i've only seen it once um uh but i i think that while there are complexities in this film and we we've talked about them and, and and talked about them with adam um I, I kind of still walked away with the overall idea that that the overall idea is kind of an obvious one, like necessary and especially necessary for the Wiseman project. Um, but uh, and also this is kind of probably stripped of like the context of like watching it in 1971, um, yeah. watching it from now. But totally. it 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 doesn't totally I, I, I would have liked more. Uh, or if I, if I'm gonna pick nits, um, I want more complexities. Or like I I just walk away with uh, still a simplistic message, even though I really appreciate um, uh, what it what it does. But it doesn't have as much gray area in terms of con- conclusions, I guess. And um, yeah, I guess when you think of like you know what at least we now see of the army like the concept of it being like dehumanizing i think it's not necessarily like revolutionary and, and that yeah. does seem to be the main thrust of the film is that you know this is an institution um that that strips away your individuality uh for its own benefit which i mean to some degree you know we've already talked about high school but as it relates to just like the weissman project you know this is one of the like predominant themes yeah yeah and um i think the what i i really like about it is like the style and structure like 
at least someone viewing it has a has a grayness to it like uh even though you know there is sort of this narrative like kind of backbone of like this eight weeks beginning and end of of training um it it it, it isn't like we get to meet these characters you know um it it has this sort of comforting but elusive abstraction to it and his use of absurdist comedy like definitely goes towards that but also like the tonal disparities like I'm thinking about that church service and how like we get to watch this these two hymns and this like hymnal that this guy is doing in this like very stark like chiaroscuro lighting Um, and it's beautiful Uh, and and it's really a kind of breathtaking moment and he wallows in like these the same with like the last training exercise where they're like crawling on the ground and he and Wiseman really wallows in these moments that aren't necessarily like the point of the film but they Mm -hmm. they have a poetic movement of of bodies that are you know avoiding fake bullets you know um or just the beauty of the of this guy's voice and his conviction singing and um just like that this is a moment for these um I think somebody drew a conclusion to hospital the end of hospital um, maybe member in his book, but um, this church service, uh, like just being able to get a glimpse of what it was like, f- what what was quiet like for these people, what was like a moment of meditation uh, like for these people is is interesting. And one of the things that I've come to really appreciate uh, or immediately appreciated about Wiseman's style as I started watching, you know, I'm thinking of Monrovia, like this, you know, this. 16 minute like and like wedding or church service or whatever the hell it is like like that that is just kind of a a beautiful thing um but i i I also love uh basic training or, or i also really like uh basic training for the fact that it is in this dialogue with high school um that that feels very necessary and i wanted to bring up mamber's book again because he has this really great passage about uh the importance of parsing what he and identifying what he calls a neat matrix of inverse influences um, <laughs> between these in, institutions, and and he he says um, that uh, their similarities, which he points out, aren't as important as seeing how they draw on each other and how much neither the high, neither high school nor basic training camp has an individual identity, but they or an, an independent identity, but they rely on each other. Um, right. And, and uh, I really like that. Yeah, they, re- they rely on each other and, and um, they're continuations of each other. Yeah. Like, like, like um, there's a reason the Army recruits in high schools, right? <laughs> like, yeah. like I actually just uh, here across the street from my place, they were doing the SFUSD graduations, and sure enough, the Marine had a table, like, right out front, you know, like, like what are you going to do now? Come with us. Like, um, Reminds me of the garden. Why is it to- the garden? <laughs> yeah, like, like the, the, re- the kind of, like, job fair kind yeah, of situation yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, like, uh, so so they're extensions of each other and, and they depend on each other like like I don't think the army um, you know is is assuming that high, wherever these uh, recruits went to high school you know they underwent s- this certain kind of broad 
ideological education. Yeah, you yeah. Know, that that you know the the conversation with the vice principal about taking orders. Like at some point, these recruits had a conversation like that. You know that that knowing when them. to be an individual and when not to. Yeah, yeah. You know they're not starting from scratch. Right? Yeah, for you sure, know? for sure. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you have do you have like parting, part uh, any other like thoughts that you kind of like conclusions that you kind of are still mulling over since this I believe was your first time as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. I think maybe more so than any of the films we've talked about thus far. This is really a film that like shines in small moments. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Like there's just so many like cool little nuggets or like little throwaway jokes um that i really appreciated um one thing i think i think i kind of talked about it with the american gladiator thing but it's it's really hard sometimes to see the application of some of these training methods (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and like how they're priming people um this is kind of aside the point, but like when they're doing the crawling on their belly under the barbed wire thing, I'm like, why would they give them enough? Why would they put the barbed wire up high enough to give them enough space to crawl under? Why would they <laughs> just do it like a half inch off the ground? You know, like, mm-hmm. um, so things like that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, well, you know, something we touch on later, but like, uh, also among his films this is like very at least initially intensely narrativized like like Weissman really brings you into the training camp as if you were a recruit right yeah. like like you're you go off the bus you get your head shaved you're assigned your number you're assigned your bunk all of which he some, went through right himself, right yeah. And which was something crazy too. We get a, a full social security number <laughs> spoken aloud in this. I don't think we would ever see that in a doc anymore. Uh, um, but and then he kind of, you know, in after that, after we're introduced, he's kind of able to meander and explore uh, before you know tying things up neatly with this commencement or graduation, uh, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but like like why I think this is a film where that opportunity is presented in a way that other institutions in previous films, um, that opportunity wasn't there. You know, this is an eight-week thing. It has a beginning. It has an end. I mean, obviously things happen before and life goes on and they're going to go off to Vietnam and who knows what happens over there. Um, It's never addressed, but that's not the concern of the institution the concern the concern is to prepare them as best as it can and you know hopefully they they continue the quote-unquote undefeated streak of the u.s (laughs) army which was like kind of like should have said jinx on that one but also also there is a a a thing too they're they're talking about they're going to watch these films and they uh, that that show this history, this undefeated history of the army. Good afternoon, men. Welcome once again to Movie Matinee. This afternoon we've got two big pictures for you. I know you've been wanting to see all week. Our first one is an old one, but it stars some of your favorite characters, such as Robert E. Lee and uh, General Andrew Jackson. It's on achievements and traditions of the United States Army. Our second one, which I know you're looking forward to. 
in which some of you may play a part in the next one, is on Vietnam, the reasons why we're there and how we got there. The objectives of these two movies are, first of all, for the first one, to find out the winning tradition we have in the United States Army. If you'll think about some of the teams in sports, which I know you follow, either amateur or professional, all the great champions that you can ever thought of never went undefeated the whole time. The United States Army has never lost a war. It is undefeated. Think about that. That's quite a record. And you're part of this army at this time. It's up to you to carry on this tradition. And he mentions uh, Robert E. Lee. And it's kind of like, did the, the army, at least at that time, consider like the Confederacy like to be part of its own legacy? Because mm. at least now we think of uh, the U.S. Army as defeating the Confederacy, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it it was it's it's this interesting uh, identity and mythologizing thing that that um, at least you know with the benefit of hindsight is kind of like that's that's weird, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, this is so. This is this took place in Kentucky, as we said, in which um, so this is the second movie so far that takes place in the South. Um, uh, so and. I'm I'm kind of interested. I've kind of done it in my head in the past, are but you, not. Are you considering Law and Order? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm kind of just interested in like vaguely cataloging as we go ahead, like what what regions are really like his touch. Obviously, like the East Coast already has yeah uh, too. A, a lot, uh, and will continue to. But um, just something to think about um, as we go along. Uh, I, I did want to, uh, uh, we got an email. You can email us at wisemanpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I wanted to read this email from uh, a listener named Carlos. Uh, Carlos says, hello, how's it going? Hope all is well. I have some cool information that might interest you. Wow. Yeah. Um, your podcast, Wiseman Podcast, has good performance in Apple Podcast rankings last 30 days. Position four in category film history, Norway. Position 30 in the category <laughs> film history, United Kingdom. Position 40 in the category film history, United States, 57 in Canada, 59 in Norway. Uh, he says, happy podcasting, Carlos. So um, thanks for listening, Carlos. Thank you for the letter. Um, I didn't even know there was a film history category. Well, Carlos does. And, uh, <laughs> Thank you, Carlos. Yeah. Um, I guess before uh, we we kick things over to mm -hmm. the Adam talk, I mean, do do we want to talk about the other Weissman film that came out in '71? Oh yeah, we briefly. <laughs> I, I mean, I think we kind of touch uh, or we kind of cover all of it with that <laughs> but we yeah. do uh we should we should preview that we also talk about uh i miss sonia henny um which uh came out in 1971 a 15 minute short that uh was uh curated by uh carpo asimovich godina and um he, he was a yugoslav director and uh it was um it sounds like it kind of just came about at this International Film Festival of Belgrade in 1971, but um, a handful of directors that you will uh, notice if you, uh, you know, are a fan of, of 
Eastern European cinema, um, like Milos Forman and um, Dusan Merajula, Makayevev, Makayevev, and um, Tinto Brass, uh, and then somehow Wiseman uh, was <laughs> in the same room and decided to do it uh, as well. I have no idea. Uh, I kind of now retroactively, I, if I ever get to talk to Wiseman again, I want to ask him about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a curio, you know. It it's is. Like a, it's an oddity, you know, like like it's just, I don't know if it's like good or bad. It's just like, huh, like it's weird that all these guys decided to make this together, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, frustrating that uh, according to Letterboxd, like more people have seen that than like Aspen yeah, <laughs> or, it's or crazy. like the Well, it has films. the benefit of being short, yeah. I guess. And probably um, on YouTube, so. Right, right. Um, I did like the the opening, which, even though that wasn't Weissman, is kind of the most nonfiction element of the film, yeah, yeah. where just, like, the two faces being goofy, ne- really close up in the frame. For sure. Um, I, I dug that bit. Um, you know, uh, the rest of it was just kind of interesting, I guess. <laughs> very, but, very, felt very much of its time. Totally, totally. But yeah. All right. Uh, well, you can email us, like I said, at wisemanpodcast at gmail. Ask us anything. Tell us anything. Tell us how we're doing uh, in different countries, uh, <laughs> podcast wise. So, um, yeah. What uh, and what other categories? Might yeah. What other categories? But uh, until then, uh, I hope you enjoy our chat with uh, Adam Naiman. Thanks. Welcome to Wiseman Podcast. Uh, we're discussing the film Basic Training from 1971. Uh, and here to talk with us is Adam Naiman, uh, film writer and lecturer. Uh, you can uh, read him every week on The Ringer, find him in Cinemascope. Um, you may also know his work from uh, his Paul Thomas Anderson book or, or his uh, his book-length Coen Brothers ranking. Um, am I... <laughs> Am I missing anything, Adam?
Yeah, no, that book, it's just a big bunch of numbers. <laughs> One, two, they're, they're all, and the, the twist is they're all tied for first. Um, yeah, no, the Ringer scope, um, you know, I, I teach here at U of T in Toronto, which is very lucky. And I'm also part of that wonderful intersection of like uh, film Twitter and basketball Twitter. That's really <laughs> proud crossover of the Venn diagram. So just before hopping on here, instead of reading any more, uh, my notes on basic training. I was like, "What are what are people saying? Ben Simmons is going to get traded for? <laughs> are there are there are there are the Raptors going to throw Kyle Lowry and their pick at at Ben Simmons? And we could just now mutate this into a, a basketball podcast uh-huh, uh, very gradu- very gradually. Um. So so yeah, you you uh, what I know that you're interested in Wiseman, but like uh, I guess can you just like tell us like how did you get into Wiseman and sort of what interests you about him? I was thrown at Fred Wiseman in the glory days as a, as a freelance stringer at the late iWeekly in Toronto. These were the days of alternative media. Toronto had a, a pair of alternative weeklies, one of which still exists called Now, one of which uh, was gentrified into a less successful paper called The Grid, uh, what was originally called iWeekly. And these were back in the days where distributors would you know, make make new releases available and junket talent on the phone or or in person. So you got lots of stories on, you know, second and third tier American independent filmmakers or foreign filmmakers. Like we weren't putting, you know, like uh, Jennifer Aniston on the cover, but we would put like Mike White on the cover, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, so I did some covers and pieces for I over the years where we would get Jai Jean Coeur, Brian De Palma on the cover of the magazine. Even though it wasn't a film magazine, it was like it had a strong cultural presence and there's other people on uh, on on twitter whose people's bylines might recognize another toronto writer like will sloan used to write for these places i mean there was always like a kind of cinephile strand to these things and so one year at hot docs which is the toronto based documentary festival not only was wiseman the honoree but um they were showing domestic violence the first one which I was sent to write about. And I was cognizant of Wiseman at that point, but I mean, we're talking about me only being about 20 at that time, right? This is not a, pre, this is not a pre-internet era in 2001, 2002, but the wealth of resources on Wiseman was not as detailed as it was. I didn't have books on him yet. And so I kind of had domestic violence thrown at me. And then later that year, his lone feature directorial film, The Last Letter also screened in Toronto. <clears throat> and between those two films, we kind of decided to do a feature on him. And, and so I interviewed him on the on the telephone, which maybe if I'd been older and more even more aware of the body of work, I would have found that much more intimidating because he's an intimidating <laughs> figure. But, but at the time, what I knew of him besides what I thought of the films, which was that they were great, was just that he was this sort of smart, experienced, seminal documentary director I didn't go into it with much fear and he treated me extremely extremely nicely you know extremely nicely I mean I'd like to think it's because it wasn't a dumb interview but I just found asking him about his methods which on some level is now quite boring because everyone knows (laughs) his methods but I found just asking about his methods and the way he described them with regard to domestic violence incredibly fascinating as usual as I'm sure you guys know when you read Wiseman's interviews on a given film it's like you imagine an entire film he didn't make just out of the anecdotes, just out of him talking about the places or the people that he encountered. It's like it's what's in the movie without being the exact shots, you know, or the exact mm-hmm. passages that he keeps. But talking to him about the last letter was fascinating because he talked about the challenges of approaching 
you know, directing basically a stage piece and a monologue and directing uh, an actor. And he actually seemed that that was like a novel thing for him to talk about. And then the only other really professionalized encounter I've had with Wiseman, aside from always seeing the films and always reading about them, your own very good work on him included, uh, was when uh, I started teaching a course at Ryerson on the history of documentary aesthetics. This is the journalism program at Ryerson. And I guess I'm kind of a journalist in that I'm a film critic, but I tried to teach it more as a kind of film studies course because that's my background. And so what I would do was I would show them Titty Cut Follies. And if anyone's listening to this, how I had a copy of Titty Cut Follies to show for free is not good. So I'm sorry, and please don't listen to this and all that. But I would show Titty Cut Follies and say, all right, everything we've read about observational doc, verite, direct cinema, whatever non-actually interchangeable terms you want to use, how is this constructed? How is every single thing that you are looking and watching, how has it been put there? Yes, it's been found, and yes, it's observed, and yes, it's not scripted, but how is the camera making this doctor's face look versus the patient he's interviewing? You know, what arrangement of bodies in the frame is it saying about these, about, about, about these prisoners or about these inmates? Why is the whole thing framed as a variety show or as a, a kind of like musical comedy review? For listeners of this podcast and big fans of Wiseman, this stuff is elementary. For journalism undergrads who've never pulled a feature documentary apart, for some of them, and I know this because they've written to me about it either in assignments or in emails, they're like, this is mind-blowing stuff. That idea that you can be um, completely seemingly transparent and completely manipulative. And I think Titty Cut Folly is the most manipulative Wiseman movie that you know of, of, of all of them. It's really in some ways kind of broad and hectoring and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they found that kind of amazing. And so for two, three, four years, I came very much while I was teaching this class to look forward to, to, to Titty Cut Follies Day, because the, <laughs> the, the, the film is like very hard to watch and you don't get inured to it watching it once a year. But having students put their hand up when we're stopping every five or six minutes and talking about construction and callbacks and even the way, even though there's not a script, the way that the like conversational motifs of the movie extend, like the ongoing discussion of Vietnam right? Or the, the, the ongoing kind of therapeutic theory that you sort of see being passed around by the different psychiatrists there. Um, you know, I just, I found it really exciting. And so I don't know how teachable people think Wiseman is, but in my experience, even if it was in a very simple way, he was, uh, he was, he was, he was very teachable. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, he's a, he's a filmmaker. I, I, I like a lot but certainly don't consider myself to be specialist in. And I think what you guys are doing has a kind of rigor and, and breadth that's in the spirit of what he does. So I hope that that, I, I, I hope that more people make that connection between his project and, uh, and yours. Uh, a couple of things. One, I, it's, it's just funny to imagine uh, your intro being domestic violence because it's such a mammoth <laughs> text. It's, it's uh it's like a hammer of a film um that's quite quite a thing two two stark forbidding black text on white paper vhs's in like one of those <laughs> old dual vhs cases you know and courier mm-hmm. courier delivered them and you start watching it you know, we, we won't get lost talking about domestic violence but you 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 get into it and it um it it, it overwhelms you by increments you know i don't know how many critics they reach into their metaphor bag and they're like Wiseman cinema is a game of inches but you know it is <laughs> right yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's a cinema that just kind of keeps 
moving the chains, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it accumulates. Um, and and in Toronto, by the way, we very much are fans uh, of the now of the now late filmmaker Alan King, who was oh, a, sure. a, a a pioneer in his own right. Technically, got started a little earlier than Wiseman, though it's not a contest. And you know, <laughs> they were they were very aware of and responsive to each other's work. But you know, around the same time that I was unpacking Wiseman for the first time is when I was seeing things that are now kind of more canonized because of Criterion, like Warrendale and. Yeah. And, and married couple but king never played with length the way that wiseman did so i remembered watching domestic violence and somewhere here i'm reconstructing my 21 year old brain i was like oh this is reminding me a bit of the king movies i've watched but it goes on mm -hmm. and when i say it goes on i don't mean i'm bored i just mean i'm 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 overwhelmed yeah for sure so so why did you pick um basic training as one that you're particularly interested to discuss i'm interested in that early semi-unofficial institutional trilogy with uh, Titty Cut Follies and high school and basic training. And this is not false modesty or thing. You guys have to tell me if I'm dumb on this one. Like, I feel like once you get through those three films, there is something about him fundamentally that changes. It's not just that the movies get longer. I kind of feel like these are the broadest strokes he ever worked in, these three movies. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he's dealing with, I mean, Titty Cut Follies is maybe not like, hugely nationally iconographic stuff but with school and the military it's like you know before he starts deviating into subsystems and sub institutions and following more eccentric paths or more eccentric people these are like the big capital letter american wiseman movies i right. guess i guess i guess welfare qualifies too mm -hmm. um and also I've, and i saw sean tweeting about this earlier so i'm glad we're going to get to it i've always since i happened to see basic training a while ago because i'm an old person i'm 40 I've always been amazed by the relationship of it to Full Metal Jacket. The relationship being uh, pilfered, mm -hmm. pil pilfered, pilfered, borrowed from, and more or less ripped off, which is all fair game when you make art, but sort of in an unacknowledged way. Mm -hmm. and, and trying to reconcile Wiseman, the observational realist, with Kubrick, the grotesque stylist, and that uh, a lot of what people find so hyperbolic or over the top about Full Metal Jacket is actually very just present in basic training. I mean, Kubrick turns the volume up a bit on the acting. There isn't an Arlie Ermey character exactly in basic training, yeah. but all the people who watch Full Metal Jacket and sort of said, oh, you know, he's overdoing the, the geometric monk-like enclosure of the barracks. It's like, no, he's not. I mean, it's, it's in the Wiseman film, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so I thought it'd be a fun movie to talk about because in its way, it's pretty broad. It's like baldly, provocative and maybe in some ways it's not as subtle or assured as his work was later when he was kind of more relaxed and took the time to explore these smaller things at great length but also to make that movie i mean i don't want to get the year wrong but it came out in 1971 yeah i mean yeah. i mean this this isn't like peter davis making hearts and minds after the war you know right where, right right where, where, yeah, where, yeah. where not that that's not a courageous movie in its way but i mean at that point public opinion had fully swung against it and you're you're For taking sure. You're, you're taking shots at the government from a position of some kind of moral superiority. I mean, Wiseman makes this in, in 71 and continues among many, many other things. The Vietnam as structuring absence thread you have in Titty Cut Follies. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys remember in Titty Cut Follies, the yeah. inmates are literally talking about the war. There's the, the communist guy on the soapbox. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's interesting Like uh, just to think about how how much Vietnam plays 
a thread throughout these first like four or five films like uh obviously the uh, the letter at the end of high school um and just like something that would have been known if you saw this film at the time but now it's like i mean if you weren't born then you have to like kind of put it into context but <clears throat> we should you could almost reverse the titles you could say high school is basic training you know, in, in, <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, sense that there's sure, these kids yeah. supposedly being prepared for life. And you could call basic training high school in the sense that what it ultimately comes down to is status and competition and weakness, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and teenagers too, because there's, there, there's no age difference really between the oldest characters in high school and the youngest characters we see in basic training. They're children. Yeah. Yeah. um, So I kind of want to get into the context a little bit, uh, especially for for people that um, are probably uh, younger than us. Um, But uh, so first of all, this was shot in in Fort Knox, Kentucky. It was was during an eight week uh, training camp thing. It chronicles this training camp shot with uh, William Brain, as we'll be uh, seeing for a while. Um, And this was 15 years after Wiseman entered the army himself. Um, and, uh, the title, as you mentioned, uh, basic training, um, it's, it has that genericness, like, like hospital or high school, but I feel like it, it's, it's as ironic as something like law and order, which is obviously conceptual, but, but it, it, it purposely and like very coyly belies this political flashpoint, uh, of the moment. And, uh, so this is 1970, he's making it in May and, uh, this is, um, in the middle of uh, our involvement in Vietnam and uh, in uh, the midst of the draft lottery, of course, um, and Vietnam protests. Um, and as, as Mamber notes, uh, in May 70, shortly before basic training was filmed, um, there was the Kent State uh, shooting um, where four people died and uh, others wounded. But uh, so, yeah, this this, like you said, is not something that was like an afterthought, but but pretty seems pretty brave to me obviously it's not a mainstream piece of art but yeah no it 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 is brave and someone i think it was christina uh uh in did a piece in sight and sound christina newland about 1971 is a year in film right christina newland is good film writer uh and it was a piece either for the sight and sound or for the week which was sort of about the idea of how many challenging status quo oppositional kind of movies came out that year and basic training doesn't usually make that list because it's a documentary which is far down you know people's uh, far down people's priority list and it's not as immediately recognizable as a still from you know a clockwork orange or straw mm-hmm. dogs or the french mm-hmm. connection or clute i mean again it's an amazing year but it very much sort of fits into the zeitgeist of that time and predates most of the new hollywood's attempt to reckon with Vietnam yeah. in, in fiction. Not everybody, because one of the filmmakers I think of when I think of basic training is I actually think of Brian De Palma and I think of the fact that he was he was he was he was in there already, not with documentary, but with uh, with with greetings and hi mom, which are mm-hmm. he, which are just basically movies about America's response to Vietnam, right? The whole first movie is about draft dodging and the the, the whole second movie is about living in a kind of Vietnam adjacent zeitgeist but most of those young guys and it's this isn't taking shots at the new hollywood directors it's not that they were apolitical or that they were pro-war that they were whatever else but like fiction did not seem to have the license to hugely take this on yet Mm -hmm. and 
and neither did the more accessible medium of documentary television because that's that's what people always say about tv journalism at the time is they reported but they didn't show anything mm -hmm. and in the same way they wouldn't show bodies coming home or footage of what's going on on the ground they're not going to show people being trained either in a way what i think wiseman's doing is he's adopting the language of yet another form which is you know the recruitment film or the training film which are the only kind of films that were ever made about the army before that that post-war propagandistic world war ii propagandistic stuff so the other movie it reminds me of is uh, is the houston film let there be light yeah right? I, I was gonna bring that up as we're talking about just all these um uh influent you know full metal jacket and contemporary fiction films but you know the way that houston's film intensely focuses on faces um yes. you know looking up in reverence kind of at um their instructors and, and therapists, I guess. Um, this is, I think, the first film where there is kind of some sort of established referent as far as dominant Hollywood filmmaking. You know, there's not really uh, narrative films at the time about mental institutions. There's no real teenage genre, but, you know, there are a wealth of war and army films. Um, you know, uh, some, one of the um generals or sar not generals uh, sergeants in the film mentions Patton. Patton. Um, so. <laughs> well, and, and i'm so glad you brought up Patton because that's an amazing bit of jujitsu by <laughs> wiseman right you know it's it's the same way that every time pop culture creeps into his movies it's not just because he had nothing to cut to he has hundreds of hours and then in the edit it's like what's going to resonate of course Patton resonates because Patton comes out in 1970 and it's this like fever dream of victory you know Patton was the best and he won and look at what it looks like when America wins. I mean that movie is co-written by Francis Ford Coppola and it's not like an uncritical film but the you know George C. Scott in front of the the American flag is an image mm -hmm. that would be appropriated and you know uh uh you know, taken on by people for all kinds of purposes so the idea that they're talking about Patton in this movie is kind of, is a wonderful little touch that that sequence in general is just so great the <laughs> he's talking about reincarnation he has this theory called karma his term for it that's where this reincarnation is supposedly there is when god created earth he created a certain number an infinite number of souls just souls okay these souls come to earth they live their life. They sin. They live another life to make up for these sins that they had in a former life. He said, you will always be a human. You may be a different sex. You may be a different race. For example, if you get somebody that's prejudiced, extremely prejudiced, hates colored people, you might come back. You will come back Negro. as a Negro. You ought to see the people in our class when they said that. Uh, he also predicted. What about if you think somebody else? You think that you could be somebody else? Well, it, did you see the movie Patton? Yeah. No, I didn't see it. Have you heard about it? You know, Patton's theory really was a whole lot of reincarnation. He said, I was here. I have been here, right. I have been here. I firmly believe it. Have you ever seen somebody, some total stranger, a trainee, that you walk up to him, the first time you see him, you instantly like him or instantly dislike him? 
Have you? Just by the way he looks, you knew that person in another life. That's what he says about it anyway. Um, and <laughs> there's so much going on in there, but uh, <laughs> it, it like I love how absurd this this film is. There's a few sequences that really kind of get to it for me, which is like toothbrushing, we, toothbrushing. So this this like infant like infantilizing toothbrush and lessing like toothbrushing lesson like cut that he like splices right after they've already brushed their teeth for the day um and close to that is like this bathroom cleaning scene uh where the, the guy's like wiping his hands on like the piss on the toilet and be like i'm i'm not afraid to put my hands on it uh, and but also talking about like using this you know militarized language to talk about like peeing uh, like shooting and and like that juxtaposed, juxtaposed with like the the guy using the gun as his crotch like there's just so much great comedy that underscores like this institution's like general absurdity well and that 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 male juvenilia thing again and the temptation to hijack this and turn it into a kubrick chat is there for me and i won't but, <laughs> but the, the 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 male juvenilia thing is is one of the one of the currents of the film that you feel so strongly in full metal jacket not just the copying of shots or not just the the similarity of style but you know that like weird pent up i wouldn't say in the wiseman it's as erotic as it is in the kubrick but just like that pent up male sexual energy thing where there's no release and the release is what's waiting off screen or the release is what the instructors are sometimes kind of promising them you know promising them about combat and you have these little release valves like when he's showing them how to kill with a bayonet mm -hmm. and, you know you kind of get like the kill shot or the money shot over and over the guy getting stabbed but it has just such a built-up pent-up kind of energy to it because like a lot of Wiseman's films like Titty Cut Follies, it's self-contained. So not to be too cute, but it feels a bit like a prison movie too. And mm -hmm. the relationship between the soldiers and the and the instructors is somewhat similar to the inmates mm -hmm. and the doctors in in, in Titty Cut Follies. Except ironically, in Titty Cut Follies, where people are supposed to be mentally ill, there's a lot more rational pushback <laughs> against yeah, what they're being yeah. asked to do. <laughs> whereas, whereas in basic training, with a couple of exceptions that pivot more on race really than mm -hmm. ideology, yeah. there's just kind of compliance. The right. characters, these characters who are supposedly sane, uh, and I'm not saying they're insane, but the soldiers who are supposedly sane are much more docile than the medicated. <laughs> marginalized yeah people seem to cut follies who keep who, who talk shit at every opportunity and are like why why am i doing this why is this a good idea i don't think you understand my problem at all there's there's no more down to go in titty cut follies you know if you no. if you speak up you know you're you're still stuck in the same place you know there's there's the constant you know threat of corrective custody that they're throwing at uh the recruits and and really there's also uh, basically the threat of death is kind of used as a cudgel you know like like you think about the way that one drill sergeant is instructing hickman you know woefully trying to get him to march in step with everybody and he's like if you don't figure this out you're not going to make it you know the the implication being like you know you will die in vietnam if you don't listen to what i'm saying it's it's like a punitive thing almost well and you mentioned hickman i mean if it's a pension novel you read hickman and be like that's a bit much <laughs> right you're gonna you're gonna call you're gonna call your ill-fitting rube protagonist you know hickman really mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but it's great but it's great dramaturgy by 
by Wiseman. I mean, by the time Kubrick does Full Metal Jacket, he has to make Vincent D'Onofrio into this like mm-hmm. you know yeah. puffy, puffy, grotesque, and he's a, a he's the same character Paul Mazursky played in Fear and Desire, like crazy army guy. I mean, Wiseman doesn't shape characters that way. He he takes them out of reality. But the way the movie uses Hickman is, I think, just just devastating. Yeah. Well, there's there's the way I think if if we're drawing comparisons between Hickman and Pyle like the things are implied in basic training with hickman he talks about the blanket party there's the concern that he's suicidal you know and i think uh, even though those things aren't shown kubrick picks up on that and incorporates that into his character but i mean kubrick being what he is he also actually wants us to be convinced or has convinced himself in full metal jacket that what basic training can turn you into in many cases is you know stone cold virtuoso of violence and the people at the end of basic training they're also not that right well that that's the the thing this film is constantly wrestling with is like sanctioned versus unsanctioned violence and the ways in which you know they're literally training these kids to be killers yet you know you still have to act within these certain like like there's the one guy you can't you're not back on the block you know that like lightly racist thing you can't just go around beating people up it's like well you're you're teaching me to go around beating people up you know so but you also don't get a sense or i don't anyway at the end of the movie that there's been this giant hive mind hive mind transformation that they've been pushing on. i don't mean that as a good or a bad thing when you see them at the end at the end of their journey they they, yep, there's compliance and there's training and there's probably, you know, they've all dropped some pounds or whatever, but you don't get a sense of them being transformed. And I don't mean that in terms of failure or success. I just mean that Wiseman doesn't make cartoons, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the last thing I'll say about Kubrick and I say with as much love mm-hmm. as I can for a filmmaker is a great cartoonist in Full Metal Jacket. That movie is an editorial cartoon. It's a series of editorial cartoon captions about Vietnam and training and violence and men and young and all of this that I think gets to a place of poetry, but it's a cartoon, mm-hmm. great, great cartoon. Uh, basic training is, is, is not. And that's why those incredible shifts and those you know, depravities of human behavior that you know a, a lot of fiction films deal with, they're not present in this movie. The reason there's not an Arlie Ermey in this movie is because Arlie Ermey was a device. You know, mm-hmm. you know the, the drill sergeants in this are holding back. Although one blog post I read, some guy who saw the movie said he thought the drill sergeants in this aren't so bad because they knew they were being filmed. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that, was that the one? Because I read something by a vet. A vet. I think we might have read the yeah, same. Yeah, okay. And he was like, they were way meaner to me. And, yeah, and, and he piece. kind of identified with Hickman. Um, yeah. So, but kind of like going off, uh, we don't have to talk about uh, Kubrick. But no, no, it's like, fine. But I wanted to uh, at least talk with you about basic training as a war movie. And um, because like, especially reading some of the scholarly stuff on this, like there's so many different references made to how this fits in as a war movie or how it doesn't fit in or how it's playing off, whatever. Uh, One of them like uh, mentioning the cinematography, which I think this is like, it's funny you talk about it as a prison movie because it's also like less cloistered than any it's uh, the Wiseman film, film, I think, that doesn't take place inside like a single building. Right. Yeah. And um, but, but not not to disprove or anything like that. But no, there no, is, no. There is um, there's I think the cinematography is gorgeous because he has like not only this this landscape to play with brain, but also an order that like a natural order that's that's afforded. Um, 
but so you know they talked about with like john ford's like cavalry films and obviously there's so much music in this just like there is in something like rio grande um but uh i think that i think i, th I think it's sorry go on first before i answer sorry finish your thought oh uh one of the other stark contrasts is that that i, I think very keith grant pointed out that um between classic war movies and something like this is the the lack of star uh, where you have that that star pushing this agenda or like making this conversion not all the time but but a lot of time making this conversion into um ideology for america and this is like a focus on de dehuman dehumanization obviously. yeah de dehumanization which is where the the overlap with the Houston films come from. I mean, Houston was as apt as any director, maybe more than many of his era, to buy into ideas of male machismo and heroism, whether it's war movie heroism or other kinds, right? I mean, that was part of Houston's bread and butter. So what's touching in Let There Be Light is you have these men and he knows he can't shoot them that way because they've been broken. So he shoots them with a kind of dignity or even a kind of reverence or poetry, but there's a tension to the brokenness. And what Wiseman is doing to me in basic training is he's showing kind of that movie in reverse, not, you know, broken men being put back together, but men being kind of broken down, you know, that idea of sort of trying to be transmuted or transubstantiated into something else. But he always has the eye, and again, this is perilously close to cliched rhetoric about Wiseman, but like, he always has the eye for the human detail, the telling detail, the asymmetrical face or the asymmetrical body in the hive mind kind of positioning and, the, and in the hive mind kind of ritual. And he's, he's good in, in Titty Cut Follies, High School and this, I think of them together, because he structures things around how does a day look like, what do you do first thing? And then where do people go? And then how, where do people eat? And then where do people talk? And then just when you think it's going to be a film of broad strokes and rituals, you kind of sit down and have a weird conversation <laughs> or have a mm -hmm. weird, uh, a, a weird exchange. And so you see that there's always, even if it's not active struggling, or in a 70s sense, even if it's not a kind of rebellious anti-hero, it's not Jack Nicholson in one for the cuckoo's nest or something. There is always, you know, something out of the ordinary. The, the things can only be regimented or, 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 or organized so much. What you're saying, both of you, about it being outdoors in the landscape, I mean, that is atypical for Wiseman. I guess the reason I think of it as a prison film is even just the equipment and the obstacle courses and the things that they are doing, it's still a kind of entrapped system of behavior i mean it's mm -hmm. not a prison film but no less than two cut follies there's not an inch of freedom in it mm -hmm. you know there's sure. the, not not an inch of freedom i mean in some of his other movies about different different organizations or companies or jobs you always have the sense even if he doesn't go there of like people go home at the end of the day you know like when you watch something yeah. like when you watch them like hospital that's lurking there that idea like oh they have lives i'm not going to show them to you but or law and order yeah or law and order there's a reference there's some sense of a life i mean with basic training when you're there you say the eight week period i mean that becomes the universe for those yeah eight weeks and then we get this like sort of connection this like this small connection to the outside world when the families come to visit them yeah, and uh, it's, it's very yeah. interesting like uh how much pressure you see you see uh and and it's obviously in dialogue with high school. We can talk a lot about that. Um, but uh, with the parents coming in. Mom has always been after you now. The only thing is, is you do what you're supposed to at all times. Right, Mom. Of course, we've got a classroom. When you're joining the Army, you now, you now get out of that rut of uh, in between that teenager and when you join and you get halfway into your basic 
training, and then I think then you start becoming mature. At least you should be becoming more and more mature every day. Tired. And uh, starting for that ladder of 100%. But really, if you don't come out of here and become a true man, See, by the time you're room. done here, never you'll never be a man. TV room. Never mind it. Yeah. Emphasize the word becoming a man. Get out of here and be a, yeah. a true be a man. Soldier. Make All a man, a, a true soldier. Things. Right, a true yeah. American soldier. Hey, become a, a true man. Happy birthday, Pike. And um, putting so much pressure on these institutions to help them raise their children or turn them into or, or help them realize success, yada, yada. Yeah, no, it, 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 it is similar. And again, the way the film is structured, where he places that, I guess you'd call it interlude or idol, like it's at a point where you want some relief from what you've seen, mm -hmm. but it's not relief. It's a different tension. I mean, I, I mean, when I just recently rewatched the film with the link you guys made me, I hadn't seen it in a while, I found myself on some level being very tense during that passage because, you know, it's, it's like an intrusion. It's like an invasion. And it's very tough in some ways for these guys to explain what they're doing or how they feel about it or, 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 or make connections with people who they've kind of left behind. I mean, that's something you don't have in Full Metal Jacket where the, the monastic conformity is never punctured. You know, no one sort of shows up. I mean, here where he places it in the movie, it's just very effective as yet another kind of curveball. And, and it, it gives you something to relate to, right? Like a lot of us, can't relate to whatever's going on in the in the film yeah. outside of that but we're but we, you know, to relate to but again and maybe it's just my own experience of the film it's not that like what you see is particularly dysfunctional necessarily but again i just find it very tense i'm like they don't belong there and i don't say mm -hmm. that i don't say that protectively or defensively on behalf of you know the u.s military i just mean that yeah we, the movie has created a rhythm and a and a space and a and a, and a feeling and then that's kind of violated a little bit um, before we get too far away from it, I want to touch on what Sean was talking about earlier about dehumanization. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there, there are interesting ways in which the film visually uh, bears that out. By the end, um, Richard Fuller noted that um, Brain is using these long lens shots that sort yeah. of compress um, all the, the recruits marching into this kind of mass. mass. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but there's this also this tension um where we call it dehumanization and i think the tension is between um they pointed this out in in reality fictions carolyn anderson and benson um the the tension between how the military is trying to image itself um and then weissman's imaging of the military in in those same instances and the military like like there's this emphasis in the beginning you have this kind of long introductory assembly and he's like you're not gonna you're gonna find that everything we're teaching you here is in your natural ability it's a native native ability it's within it's your native ability. ability yeah yeah there's this emphasis there's this idea that like like killing is human nature and we're just gonna like kind of bring it out of you and as opposed to like instill it within you or impress it upon you I thought there's that and there's also the subtle differences or maybe not so subtle. There's like the recruitment cadence and then the you're already through the door cadence, mm -hmm. you know, there's like, <laughs> there's like, here's, I mean, I, I'm not being glib, but it's like, you know, you go to summer camp and on the first day they're like, man, the, 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 what a summer we're going to have. You know, and then, the, <laughs> and then, and then once you've been there for a couple of weeks, the tone is more like, have you, do you not get it yet? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Are you are you are you are you not with the program? 
you know, yeah. you're either too smart to be with the program or too dumb to be with it. But I mean, that's what I was hopefully not stumbling over, but what I was sort of trying to suggest before about where this film fits in, in war movie history, nonfiction division, because you had mm. fiction films that did serve as recruiting posters. And I think morally and ideologically in the 40s and 50s, I'm not just going to give it all a pass, but I'm going to say, you yeah. see where that came from. Mm-hmm. right like to leverage against the disinterest americans had in joining a european foreign war in the first place and then to try and honor the sacrifices you know made on that behalf i mean you have frank capra being enlisted to do the why we fight movies and he's pushing the same buttons that he does in his fiction films he's like this is a great country and you should participate you know so and then that kind of became in a way hollywood became the default language of a lot of the military's self-made or internal you know, propaganda films or internal kind of recruiting films. And Wiseman, as always, I mean, he snuck in there, I think, a couple of years before someone like him wouldn't have been able to sneak in there in the same <laughs> in, in, in the same way. But it's interesting, too, that the film did not, unless I'm missing it in reading about it, it didn't experience the same pushback institutionally that Titty Cut Follies did. I mean, the Titty Cut Follies, they wanted him, they, they wanted his head on a platter. And well, there, is- there's a um, member in, in, in Mamber's recent journal uh, of it, he said, which I didn't catch this because I didn't watch it till like past the credits. Once the credits, yeah. I, I yeah, hit yeah. off. But he um, noted that it has like the disclaimer at the end um, and yeah. about like how the whatever, like basic it, training has come a long way. It uh, echoes pretty yeah. much in tone, like the one at the end of Titty Cut Follies. Cut but as far as I've read, there was nothing about that being yeah. imposed on Wiseman. It's, it's no. just kind of like- But but, but but also not like a 30 year fight. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. with, with Titty Cut Follies, you, like, you, they, like, they would have taken a contract out on him for what he showed. You know, mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and with and with this film, it just didn't have that tale of controversy to it. Controversy, which by the way, helped him in the beginning. Right. right, because because Titty Cut Follies got a reputation as kind of you know subversive, yeah. but uh, I don't think anyone would watch Basic Training and sort of think he accidentally made a recruitment film. That accidental <laughs> thing people say about fictional war films, that endlessly yeah. quoted Truffaut thing, where you can't help but glorify it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with the lyricism and the landscape photography in this film, there's there's no chance I think of someone watching this film and being like, that looks fun. <laughs> right. It, it, it's interesting like um to, to play off what you were saying arlen about like this de- the images of dehumanization uh we get like this montage at the beginning of uh which reminds me of something else that's different about this film uh we get this montage of the in the opening of these people being indoctrinated uh quite physically uh shaved heads and yeah. beds and 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 uniforms so they look all the same which um side note that this is interesting because it is not in media res um this is the beginning of something and he's there at the beginning rather than dropping in on cops doing their daily things uh coming to high school for yada yada like this is uh kind of very easily like bookended um it's like the most intensely narrativized i think we've seen weissman thus far to this point in the career yeah yeah and um but but uh we have kind of like alluded to this, but it's really interesting when we see someone actually resist uh, that dehumanization. Um, and as you mentioned, Adam, it, there's definitely a, a racial tension to it. Uh, but we get this great scene of this black private talking about how he doesn't have a country. And the guy really doesn't know how to respond other than no. to, to like kind of try to shame him. Well, yeah, because it's quite a, it's quite a turn, right? That scene, 
begins with all sorts of things about protocol and rules and attitude, you know, which is a language that that instructor or that superior is able to speak. And then when you pivot and go into the language of the dispossessed, you know, a, a language that has a political edge to it that's not, you know, America has to protect its interests overseas, but, you know, how do people feel living in the country in 1971? He's not equipped. And it's interesting, too, how much that scene bounced back to me, those moments in Titicut Follies, where when they are talking to the doctors, they're fundamentally talking about dignity or they're saying well what's working for other people isn't working for me i'm an individual now in titicut follies the black private is to some extent being used by wiseman not used in a bad way but he is a symbol of something bigger mm -hmm. right he's a symbol of sort of you know uh that divide and racism that the military claims to overcome through brotherhood and whatever which it clearly doesn't mm -hmm. but you know also a sign of things going on outside those barracks in the united states and in, in 1971, but he uses him, I think, without doing anything to the scene to, 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 to inflate him or anything. It's just what the guy is saying is very spacious. Yeah. It, it, it just is. Yeah. It said, it said so matter of factly too. He's like, yeah. let's be frank. Let's be honest. Like, you know, this is in my country. Like, you know what it's like out there. The only way is you do what you're told. And then you find out after. Some things you can do with your toe and you, you might not be, live to come back and tell it. That, that's firm. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, now, I'm, I'm, still here, I'm still here to, to, uh, to, uh, to say that, I'm, um, that I was done a misjustice. Right. In a, in a combat situation, if you don't do what you're told sometimes, you can be shot, too. Right, we're not in war. You tell them all in, in war. In, war in other words, if you do it here, you do it when you're in war. That's what he's trying to get over to you. No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. He might be a real, real soldier in, in combat. Maybe come up with a medal of honor, huh? I don't want no medals. I don't want to be here, period. I don't want no medals. I want my life. That's my medal. That's my heart. I want to function. I was probably not in here outside. This is a country too. No, it's not. No, it's not. Now you, now you let's, let's be frank with each other. Now you know this is not my country. Why are you gonna say? How are you gonna tell me that this is my country? Which one you claim then? I don't claim nothing. I don't claim nothing. A man without a country. Right. And I think probably for audiences at the time too that they would um, pretty quickly recall Muhammad Ali's famous comments um, about refusing service. You know, yeah, no, good point. Kong ever called me. Um, it, it, it reminded me of Hospital too, the way that he, Wiseman, just looks at these, not just that scene, but throughout, looks at racial differences in stratification through very simple, but like sly juxtapositions. Um, sometimes so vision like Sometimes. the makeup the, the makeup that yeah yeah the right yeah. Yeah. yeah or like the photographer mentioning george Good wallace yeah. the like right yeah pro segregation <laughs> guy. i love I like that photographer <laughs> yeah say say poo poo <laughs> yeah yeah uh but you're able to get a sense of like these microaggressions and just attempt at indoctrination to a system that is white um that basic training involves because, and it's I, interesting too. I'm just gonna, as long yeah. as we're talking about these these racial um, disparities, the the chaplain, um, you know, the the role he plays really to just uh, reinforce and reify um, everything that that 
the high command is who is old and white is is trying to instill upon these privates you know the scene with hickman where he's trying to counsel him it's just like a litany of platitudes and empty statements about like you know trying hard and fighting yeah. to get to the top but i would much rather you come in here and tell me say chaplain i'm a little uh depressed today uh chaplain uh, i'm running into some difficulty than to you know to just swallow a bunch of pills and say well i'll just forget the whole thing that doesn't sound like somebody who's really trying to, you know, really trying to get to the top. Does it? No, I don't guess it does. All of life is really about up, ups and downs, isn't it? Huh? And, and I don't care how good a person is, he has those days when he's not as good as, as he wants to be, or not as good as he has been, right? And the difference, the difference between us is not so much whether we, uh, whether we lose the day or whether we win the day, but, you know, what we do as a result of having won or having lost. And if uh, we're going to, you know, go around feeling sorry for ourselves, and, you know, there's no hope for us. Now, the doctor can help you, the mental hygiene can help you, and I can help you, but you have to be willing to help yourself, too. If you fall down in the mud, you got to be willing to get up. See? If you flunk one test, you got to be willing to just stay in the arena and keep struggling, keep fighting at it, go at it again. Okay? All right. Yeah. In, in, in invoking and in its way trying to connect the only higher power right mm -hmm. what what is the what what is the higher what's the light of fulmino jack you belong you're, you're out you're, you know you you belong to god but your ass belongs to the marines you know <laughs> i mean it's yeah. a great it's a great line when our leader gives it but you get that sense here too of of actually sort of trying to sink between those two kinds of authority right to to do your job and to follow orders here is the same kind of decency and 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 and, and contentment with life that you get out of, you know, some interpretations of Christianity. And it's a bold move for Wiseman to include him there as counterweight to the symbolic use of the black private in the earlier scene. Because Wiseman, as you guys clearly must know more than me from watching all the films and talking with him, he is not above the things that people claim his cinema transcends. Like he is not above manipulation. He is not above mm -hmm. hand-holding. He is not above hitting you on the head. He's not above instrumentalizing real people and having them as stand-ins for attitudes or whatever else. He's just also really good at them. <laughs> He's really good at doing them. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and often when he, you know, when, when he does them, it seems to unlock something kind of profound. I mean, a question I had for you guys, which hopefully isn't, it's certainly not off topic. I hope it just doesn't swell this to an unmanageable digressive length. But <laughs> in watching these Wiseman films, talking to so many different people about them, do you feel like you have now taught yourself how to watch his films like really, really well? Like, do you feel like now when you're keeping up with the new stuff or going to the smaller ones, like you, you, you feel like you're watching them right? Because that's the thing that my students, I, I use that phrase because I had a student ask me once, but to cut follies, he's like, how do I know if I'm watching this right? I thought yeah. was a really sweet question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very a, a very guileless undergrad question. Am I watching this right? And we all have directors where we think people are watching them wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not watching, you know, Marinade right. You're not watching, uh, you know, Wong Kar Wai right. I mean, do you think there's a way to watch Wiseman right? And have you guys broken through to that 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 realm? 
I think Weissman would say that there's no way. And right. he, he's always talking about um, not putting assumptions on his audiences, even though I think, you know, there is some degree where you can predict who the Weissman audience is to some, you know, extent. Um, but I think for me, what's come so far is is what we talked about in the in the high school episode with Mamber, the whole Truffaut auteurist one big film idea. I think if there's a most uh, rewarding, I guess, way to engage with these films, it's it's and and doing so through this project for the first time, it's the interplay between them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I would agree with that. Um, and it's interesting because basic training i hadn't watched uh like i took a bit of a hiatus of watching wiseman because we just hadn't recorded in a while and um and i was like oh yeah okay it took me a second to kind of like get in the <laughs> mode that like i don't want to be prescriptive for others but for myself like especially because basic training is the first one that we've done that i haven't watched before this is my my first time with it and so um there is like sort of this accumulation that happened uh through the film that like I, I don't know. It, it's it's very hard to articulate, but um, there's there's a mode that works for me. But I've watched uh, some films of his with uh, my girlfriend, and who doesn't watch a lot of movies, but has a lot of uh, questions about Wiseman films and frustrations about stuff that like that. Um, I think that he invites uh, for people, I guess, that are just casual film watchers or whatever, because of the fact that he doesn't introduce things. He doesn't give you any context. And that can be frustrating. Um, but so I don't know. I don't want to be prescriptive, but but yeah, I think you, that you kind of got to like surrender yourself. I think <laughs> I think that's what you learn. The more Weissman you watch is like you just have to kind of give yourself to this and not ask those questions because you're only going to end up frustrated really you know they should, they should someone should put out i'm sure it's impossible they should put out a eight billion hour set of all the films on blu-ray where in the bottom left corner there's just like frederick wiseman looking stern in every frame of every one of these movies just kind of looking at you like you watching this right I'm, I'm 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 kidding of course um we talked a lot uh, about language a lot. And I, I think that there's a lot here um, in this film to talk about it. Like, like we talked about in law and order um, as just like a film that shows off Wiseman's ear. Um, but what I find just a purely like aesthetic joy is we've been talking about full metal jacket, which is this like very regimented, like precise thing um, and editorial cartoon, like you said, um, but you have Artly Ermy like delivering these lines that, you know, just perfectly articulated. And I found it so interesting to watch these drill sergeants that uh, are obviously the same ideology that he based them on, but like they have human imperfections. Yeah. We're seeing these like in real time, these people, you know, there's real footage of these drill sergeants that have vocal flubs and unpolished speeches and it, it's militarized, but they're imperfect. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, that Bill Crone wrote that Full Metal Jacket is about a brain that malfunctions, right? Mm -hmm. The whole base is a brain and Vincent D'Onofrio malfunctions and like, the synapse breaks and then that's the first <laughs> half of the movie, right? It's like just basically the, the, the broken synapse. 
uh, yeah, life isn't like that. So in the <laughs> same way that I was sort of trying to say earlier that these guys are changed and they're trained and maybe even something basic about them, whether something has been basically rewired or basically drawn out, which is the heart of the movie, that dilemma, you know, they're still just kind of goony, weird, eccentric people. And that extends too, to even these long serving, you know, uh, you know, drill instructors, even these long serving yeah. voices authority they they're 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 kind of imperfect but again that's the difference with the pleasure between like a a crystalline cinematic object like full metal jacket and a a a piece of observed you know reportage and since we didn't go through the anecdote i mean you tweeted it the other day but for the listeners who don't know it i mean that the idea that kubrick asked wiseman for the film asked him for it for free when Wiseman is notably, <laughs> even I think in 71, a stickler for, you know, being paid for his non-lucrative work. And then sort of never said anything about it. And here's what I find interesting about that is that Kubrick is famously effusive mm-hmm. towards other filmmakers. Like he famously like he called, Albert, head. Yeah. Called, called Albert Brooks in the middle of the night, supposedly to be like, how did you make modern romance? And told George Sweezer the vanishings, the scariest movie he's ever seen. I mean, even to the end, he was like very complimentary to PTA about Boogie Nights because they screened it on set for him and Tom and, <laughs> and Kim while they were shooting. So the fact they never said anything to Wiseman, you know, it's interesting. And I wonder yeah. if there is a kind of sublimated guilt or just kind of knowledge that for all Fumetal Jacket takes from his own movies and the novel, the Michael Hare novel dispatches and the short timers because if you actually read those things a lot of the movies in there too it's not just that he took it all from basic training but he took an awful lot of it yeah. he, he, <laughs> he took he took an awful lot of it the fact that he never said anything according to Wiseman is 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 kind of amazing to me and the fact that he it took him a year to return the print uh but, yeah um <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's funny, funny because Wiseman's attitude uh is uh, so like I don't know blue collar I guess or something but just so like non Hollywood where he's just like yeah it's kind of like humored that he took so much from it and then also goes on to mention like yeah yeah Gus Van Sant took some stuff for high from high school so did Wes Anderson um, for Rushmore and like which he couldn't remember the title and he's like just seems <laughs> to enjoy it uh, yeah well when you're when you when, when you've endured as long as he has that's one of the things about enduring is that you're a touchstone who people go to and then multiple generations of filmmakers will be inspired not just retroactively but in real time kind of by the work and that and 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 so yeah that collection of filmmakers you just mentioned spans at least three or four generations of american auteur cinema and they're all taking from him you know kind of kind of in real time and it, it's still like i think this is one of my ongoing like things that during this project especially as we get more into the meat of the 80s and 90s work that will just continue to like not necessarily blow my mind but frustrate or like be able to relate to his frustration the fact that just like there's decades of unsung work there, like that he's just turning out the same the same tier of of, uh, equality of, of work and you know people just don't see it yeah although he definitely has been subject as as a lot of veteran filmmakers are subject to that much more appreciation, retrospective analysis, mm-hmm. the longer the career is on. But that's also because the film critical landscape has broadened and diversified to accommodate more kind of niche things. I'm not going to sit here and be like, film criticism's in great shape. But I mean, what it, 
what, what, what was it ever really in great shape because there was such a fanatical drive to only talk about two, three, four things. That same drive exists and it unfortunately exists in some of the bigger precincts, but there are more opportunities for people to talk and think about something like, there wasn't almost, you might say someone could, could start a podcast about it and cultivate a listenership, <laughs> give due to, to, to all that work. And that's a, you know, that's a, fu- that's a function of the moment and, and technology. And, and I think of the, the healthy aspects of, of film criticism. You guys, you guys, you guys are a model of 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 of, of, of healthy film criticism. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, Kate, and appreciate et yeah, uh, Exactly. So uh, before before we let you go, yeah, uh, yeah. just kind of like off of uh, basic training, are there are there other um, like Wiseman favorites that you um, just perennial favorites or things that are films of his that you kind of return to in your head if not actually to watch i'm i'm very fond of primate you know Mm -hmm. which would actually be a good title for basic training as well (laughs) Uh, very very fond of primate beyond it's kind of like weird mondo reputation because it has like animal dissection in it but i just find the 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 depiction of science and study and just that irresistible dichotomy between people and apes it's just it's always good it's good in documentaries good in fiction films good in anything and um you know i i really was fond in the i guess the 2000s when he kind of turned his attention briefly into being a kind of an aesthete and you know he's, you know films about ballet and films about performance i like his ballet film i like his strip club that's actually a low way of saying it but his his his, his strip clubish kind of kind of movie um <laughs> And the other thing that might be worth be worth talking about before I go, because it's a Wiseman that I hadn't seen before I got my marching orders from you guys, is the 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 bloody short thing. Yeah, Dude, I which, miss Sonia Henny. I miss Sonia Henny. What in that Wiseman's responsible for? Because I think we definitely know what. Oh, we do. We 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 Makaviev's do. responsible yeah. for. But were you guys aware, or you sure you must be aware if you did your research? There's five or six different directors, but they are interspersed. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, exactly. they're not. So I was watching it the first time, and like these things aren't three minutes long. And yeah, why does it? And why does it keep cutting back to, to Buck Henry? I mean, for people who are confused right. by what we're talking about, this was this like almost challenge short film that was made in a hotel like, and some some film festival. Yugoslav. Yeah, it, it was the International Film Freight of Belgrade. Uh, it's yeah. basically the Yugoslav uh, Five Obstructions. Yeah, or the Yugoslav <laughs> Four Rooms. You know, where it's like, uh, get all these directors together. And it's a pretty odd bunch because it's Makaveyev and... Who has to be all the shitting and eating and fucking, I would imagine. Makaveyev and Tinto Brass and then Milos Forman, who at that point, I guess, would have been the most famous of all of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that he was, he he hadn't made Clockwork uh, of Cuckoo's Nest yet, but he was getting there. Then you have Wiseman in there and it's technically... because the last letter is sort of more of a monologue film or more of a dramatic recitation. I mean, it's technically Wiseman's only fiction <laughs> film. And he's the only one, the, the rules of this film are they, it has to be the same hotel room, can't move the camera. I think it's the same actors or the same basic group. Yeah. Yeah. Every little short has to include the phrase, I miss Sonia Henny," which is a caption from a Peanuts cartoon. <laughs> right? <laughs> about, about, about figure skating. Cause Sonia Henny was a famous kind of figure skater. And Wiseman's film, as far as I can tell, is the one, it's mostly in one piece near the end where you find out that Sonia Henney wanted her skates brought to her on a platter. And so you've got a man and women in period dress kind of having this Mm -hmm. weird abstruse conversation and then brings a platter with figure skates on it before it cuts to real footage of 
of, of Sonia Henny. I just like the idea, first of all, of young Fred Wise, but it's just funny to imagine him as kind of like hanging out yeah. and that he was that he was hanging out with all these kind of Eastern European and American libertines making this 15 minute omnibus, which is, you know, you can watch it on YouTube, yeah. uh, but almost none, of, but almost none of the Wiseman literature talks about it. It's mm-hmm. funny. I sent Sean uh, the like oh, top yeah. review on IMDb, and it's a one star. And it's a guy who just watched Titty Cut Follies and is like, "Oh, I'll see what else Weissman's done." done. And he went straight to Imus. So he's yes. probably like, "What's the shortest?" <laughs> yeah. I think Carlos Velardes, who's a good writer on Letterboxd, I yeah. think he's on Twitter too. He talks about it on his Letterboxd, which I found helpful because it had some explanation. On you know for all the shit letterbox takes, I like how many smart people there are who kind of just have done, who've done research on movies that aren't in the heights and talk about it helpfully. You know, yeah. there's actually there's some good yeah. stuff on on I miss Sodia Hedy on Letterbox for people who are curious. And the movie is viewable on YouTube in two parts. Do yeah. do you have? I want to just ask. You know, this is I think um, uh, you know varied successes in terms of this film. Um, I think that's the case in most kind of anthology films, both the, yeah. the classic ones and more contemporary. Do you have any that you you stand by and you feel like are are successful pieces? Film films by multiple directors. Like yeah, yeah. So, oh well, well, you, well, well, you know, I mean, how can you not love that nine eleven anthology with Sean Penn and Alejandro <laughs> Gonzalez in your YouTube? You know, anytime, anytime in your reaches in your lineup, it's like uh-huh. the twenty, it's like the twenty-seven fucking Yankees. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, there's, 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 there's lots of lovely ones. I mean, actually, this is cheating because there's so many directors in it, including in your YouTube. But I'm still very fond of going and poking through the DVD I bought of that Can 60th anniversary thing, where all the shorts have to be three minutes long and set inside a movie theater. If you guys, I mean, because some of these are very mm-hmm. famous, like the Cohen's one. Where Josh Brolin has to choose between seeing Return of the the Rules of the Game and Climates, no, um, it. and it's it's also the <laughs> anthology that that Cronenberg made his great late film uh, at the suicide of the last Jew in the world and the last cinema in the world, where he's there with a gun to his head while newscasters talk about him being barricaded into the last movie theater before they're going to shut it down. And uh, not to pivot from Wiseman to Cronenberg, but my man does not miss, you know, <laughs> he, he made, made that made that movie in 2017, where all the implication of it being him with the gun to his head being like, I'm done. And what I do is done and movie going the way I know it is done. And then you watch that short 14 years later and you're like, yeah, no, actually just correct. <laughs> this, this is this is this is this is just fact david cronenberg but no i mean when it's when it's anthology movies made by people with a unified sense of purpose it's one thing when it's people being randomly wrangled and i'll tell you what i have a weakness for is i have such a weakness every year at tiff or other festivals like after dark and trying to like here's a horror anthology with a, mm-hmm. a framing device that wraps around and i'm like yeah. there's never been a good one of these but one day there will and it will be the best <laughs> movie ever <laughs> there was that one Joe Dante was part of Trapped Ashes, and I've rarely tried to like a movie more while watching it. I'm like, come on, Joe, you and your buddies can can do it. But you know, like the VHS films and right. all, yeah. and, and that movie Southbound or or XX, which was all the female indie horror directors. I mean, there's always some good stuff, but they never right. they're never good all the way. I mean, do you have do you have do you have an exception to the rule? Probably not exception. I think in that mode, that kind of horror anthology kind of thing, I really like um, Cosmic Slop, that um, 
George Clinton kind of plays the oh. role of the crypt keeper. Um, and that, and that sounds great. I haven't seen it's that. really, yeah. It's, uh, I, could, I think I could send you a link. It was a HBO film. Um, right but, on. and then I mean, I, I love the David Allen Greer piece and and uh, Tales from the Hood, but yeah, and, that's pretty good. But, yeah, yeah. Um, Eros is interesting, it gave us the hand at least, but um. Yeah, Eros was like Eros. Is, Eros was such a thing when it happened, you know. But no one writes about it anymore. No one has seen that Antonioni piece for years. For years, for, for 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 years and years and years. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a fun thought experiment. You know, draft your draft your draft your dream anthology film and subject three directors or four directors in one. Yeah. So mine would be four Inuritu films on any. <laughs> oh, the the Karak. <laughs> The Leo, the Leo Carax one in Tokyo too. Yeah, with that guy. Oh, that oh, guy. oh, the BMW with Levant. Yeah. Oh, then oh, the BMW films, of course. Yeah. yeah. The, the the higher series are are great. Um, boy, we I love that we managed by the end <laughs> to, to get that off track. That's awesome. <laughs> well, th- thanks a lot for coming on. Um, oh we, man, I had a pleasure talking. I, I I had a I had a great time, and I wish you guys really good luck. With this venture, I think it's a, 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 a genuinely noble one. So keep 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 it up. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. We'll cool. see you soon. Yeah. Later, Adam. Short, fast, or 